The purpose of Wealth Talk is to educate, inform, and hopefully entertain you on the subject of building your wealth. Wealth Builders recommends you should always take independent financial, tax, or legal advice before making any decisions around your finances. Hello and welcome to another episode of Wealth Talk. This is episode 21. My name is Christian Rodwell, the Membership Director for Wealth Builders, and I'm joined today by the founder, Mr. Kevin Whelan. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Chris. How are you doing today? Excellent. Thank you. So today we are on to Pillar 3, which is all about investments. Yeah, Pillar number 3 is, is really is as big as the pension pillar, because if you think about it, you know, well, what is an investment? I mean, it's a huge, huge area where people kind of park their money, don't they? They sort of put it in some market or other, whether it's the market for cash, whether it's the market for government bonds or national savings, it's the stock market, which is the biggest market of all, of course. But as we'll discover, Chris, as we go through this concept of markets, there are many, many markets. And just as you can buy groceries at different prices in different markets, we'll learn very much that it's really important to understand you know, how markets work. Not, not a detailed dive. It's not important to dive so deep when you're trying just to understand broadly how markets work. Remember, the key to the wheel of wealth is a bit of education to be able to ask better questions, not all of the education. So this session will not be a complete focus on every single aspect of every single market. It would be too big a topic, Chris. We'd still be here three weeks from now, but it, I think it allows us to dispel some myths. And as I said on the last, uh, the last uh, podcast, Chris, we'll shoot a couple of sacred cows as well, uh, things that I just think fundamentally are misunderstood and badly taught. And if truth be told, really people are misinformed. And they're misinformed for a reason, because those people who dispel the education is really salesmanship in disguise. It's people being sold a line as opposed to uh, doing something which they know to be good for them, uh, which is why, Chris, I would like to use the title that almost all investments are CRAP, Chris. Yes, I'm sure that title, it, it caught a few people's attention, I'm sure, who, who are listening right now. So what, what, do we, what do we mean by this, Kevin? Well, look, Chris, I'm not having a go at every market in town. Of course not. It's a pillar. So you build your wealth on pillar number three. Uh, invariably, though, you can't build your wealth well in pillar number three because you're relying on a market that somebody else has control over or the world has control over. So you don't, you don't really have that control. So as we get into other pillars, we'll realize we have got the ability to drive value, to bring more of our own wealth dynamic, more of our own skills and more of our own time and collaborations, all those forms of leverage, we don't really have too much to bring to the investment pillar because almost in all cases, the money's parked. It's given to somebody or some organization for them to do something with that we kind of hope works. And, you know, so there's a, a massive, massive challenge when people just hope that things will work. And I'm not sure that's a great basis on building wealth. Now, the stock market isn't a bad place, for example, 
for having some wealth invested once you built it, but it's not necessarily, in my view, the greatest place to build the wealth if you're simply not able to add control. You can't wake up today and say, I'm going to do something today that will change any market at all. You can't do it. You know, it's, we don't have enough money as individuals to do that. So we're, 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 we're very much relying on how a market works. And, and I would like to say there are four key things that anybody who's investing in a market should be aware of. And that's the acronym, Chris, of CRAP. So I'm not saying all investments are crap. I'm just saying here's an acronym. Here's something or a mnemonic, nice and easy to use that you can uh, create as a filter before you make any investment. Okay, so we had a bit of fun with it, but let's get serious now. Okay, so kicks off with the C then, Kevin. Well, you know, if you understand that I said you can't control the market, what can you control? Well, the only thing you can really genuinely control is the cost of investing in that market. So that's the entry cost, the running cost, and the exit cost. And, you know, there are always costs when you buy into anything. And, of course, a good wealth builder is looking for value. They know there's a cost to do anything, but they want value from that. And that's how the stock market in any market really should be viewed. What is the cost of entry into the market? Now, of course, entry into things like cash, if you're in the bank, for example, you know, the cost of entry is not high, is it? I mean, you would argue it's probably zero. Mm. But it's the opportunity cost, isn't it? So in economic terms, um, and you know that's my background, Chris, there's the cost that is always got to be considered when looking at the true cost of anything and what's the opportunity cost. In other words, what can you do instead that will give you a better result, a more leveraged return? that helps you towards building your wealth because all of the investments, the reason why people invest isn't to invest. They invest for some kind of outcome. And that outcome almost always is measured in terms of what's the return on the investment. As we call that an ROI, don't we? What's the return on my investment? Well, the return on your investment is always the what's the gross return, what's the total return, minus the costs of being in that. And you can never control the total return in any market, as I've said all along. So the only thing you can control is the cost. And I think we'll hear, won't we, from some of our other partners or from some of our students that one of the big things that they focused on is is really minimizing that cost of entry, minimizing that running cost, and minimizing that exit cost or conversion cost. I'll come on to conversion, Chris, when we get into the A part. Uh, remind me of that, if you will, in case I forget, um, which is this this idea then of if you recognize that billions and billions of pounds, just like pensions, is really passed into the hands of an industry. And the industry have a view that is, you know, the more that they can make the costs look low, the more likely it is that people will simply ignore them. Or, or, or kind of cast them to one side as if they're not worth worrying about. And, and I'm not sure that's the right approach. So, Chris, I think I've mentioned this before on a podcast or two. The average 
running cost, even forgetting entry costs for the minute, but the average running cost, which is a much longer term cost for people holding their money. So let's say someone's investing money in the stock market and they hold that money for the long term. Do you know what the average cost of that is when you look at who's holding the asset because we don't hold the shares anymore? Who's holding? That's called a custodian. Who's managing the money in terms of who's making the decisions about what investments are made and who's making the decision or the interface between the the investor and accessing that money, in other words, an intermediary. You know what the average cost of that is uh, for pension holders and investment holders in the UK on average? I would I would go for around 2%. You've been listening to a good uh, – <laughs> I don't know about you, Chris, but if if the average cost of holding money is, say, 2%, and let's say your average return was 6%. See, 2 doesn't sound a lot, especially if you break it down so well. The custodian cost or the market cost, the supermarket, is quarter of a percent. You know, the advisor cost is – half a percent. Don't sound like a lot, does it really? But when you think about if the gross return and the and the fund manager, of course, and we talked last week, didn't we, about one fund manager who got it horribly wrong for his clients but pocketed a nice bonus for himself. So this whole area makes my blood boil a little because it kind of gets people into a process of thinking that this is super, super complicated. And only experts can do this. And therefore, you should put your hands, or your money rather, into the hands of experts, and their costs are reasonable. And in my experience, they're not reasonable at all if you measure two as a percentage of six, say, or even two as a percentage of 10. You know, you're still paying a quarter to a third, and in some cases, a half. I mean, look at the people who are holding money in retirement, you know, where their attitude to risk is likely to be lower, therefore their returns will be lower. But if their costs are similar, they could be paying 2% to get 4%. And that's like 50% of your money going to the industry instead of into the hands of the people who should have that money and should have their wealth and their security in place. So, um, you know, I'm not really a fan of a, <clears throat> of a market-based approach that just simply delegates the money to a third party. And I'm not saying advisors or the industry's got bad intentions. I'm definitely not saying that. I'm just saying that there's another way you can control your cost. You can access costs much more cheaply in almost any market, and in some cases free, or a fraction of 0.1%, you know, 0.2%, really, really very low cost if you pay attention to how you can access. And the running costs can be very low too particularly if you're looking into um, investments where there aren't really any running costs at all. And in some cases, the running costs of the stock market can be very, very low if you know how to uh, buy into the marketplace as a whole um, at a fraction of the cost it would take if you use the intermediated service that is more often used. Um, so I think we'll have some of our um, – Speakers talk a little bit more about that. I think you've either 
Got those lined up, I think, Chris. We, we will do. We will do probably in the next episode, yeah. And I know that you've said on previous podcasts, Kevin, you know, if you're a wealth builder and changing that mindset from that of the employee perhaps to the entrepreneur, that you really have to be in the business of money management. And as you say, it doesn't mean studying up loads of finance books, but just understanding the basics of money management. And obviously cost is an area where perhaps some people just just accept you know, that's the way it is. But it certainly doesn't just have to be like that, does it? No, it's not the way it is at all. And I think um, anybody who's seeing the growth of the kind of online um, supermarkets, online comparison sites, these sorts of things, it's very easy to, to, to get access to markets quite cheaply through the use of ETFs, um, exchange-traded funds, much lower-cost way of being able to buy into the principle of a marketplace doing what markets do. And all of the evidence is, Chris, and, you know, we can provide the evidence, but there's so much evidence that the relationship between total performance and cost is absolutely in alignment. In other words, the higher your cost of running your money, the lower your performance will be. So you don't get more money by paying more for it. The evidence is that's just not the case. Yes, there'll be a few exceptions where where you know fund managers will outperform the market, but not consistently so. And to the extent that I would challenge anybody to to want to do that, to think that somebody else they can choose the right jockey to back a horse, you know, when in fact it's just much easier if you want to be invested in, say the stock market then use the stock market to do what it does which is companies making profit just as any as an entrepreneur does and allow those profits to be made and make your gains in the lowest cost way because the the just the market is so fast and it's so instantaneous and when it comes to the speed of things you know there's no way any individual can really outperform the market so uh, anyway, that's 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 a view I hold. Keep those costs as low as possible. So use ETFs, use trackers, use passives, overactives in general terms. If you're, you know, if you want to, we know that some people want to be active themselves, and that's fine. But that's you making a decision. You want to learn how the market works in more detail. That's not the purpose of this podcast, but you can get into that. And um, those people who do that, who uh, Get the right education, get the right support, make the right connections, test, 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 do due diligence, then they can do a better job, but they're focused on it themselves. They're adding value for themselves in a different way, which is, you know, uh, when you're trading in the market, when you're looking for small pockets of opportunity, or you're holding something with good intrinsic value like gold, silver, or, or other precious metals and things like that, or or just long-term stocks and long-term holdings of the Dow or, or whatever it would be. And then you're learning a little more how to trade and how to make gains because other people are trading, you know, so the use of options. Um, but that's, again, beyond the scope of today. But we know lots of good people who teach that for those who want to know more. Sure. So let's move on then, Kevin. Should we have a look at the R? Yeah, well, R is always understanding risk, you know, and the second ROI, it's really important to think about. We talked about return on investment didn't we but probably the more important one is the return of your investment you know what's the risk to your capital because there's no 
substitute. You know, there's no compensation if you lose all your money uh, being able to to get it back again in the future. You know, you'd be a bad investor. You'd be hurt. You'd be damaged, and you'll lack trust in yourself and you lack trust in others and consequently it's a very well it's a really hard place for people to be so you have to be able to manage risk which is the reason why we say you know building wealth in multiple pillars makes more sense than putting all your eggs in any basket even if it's a stock market basket but if obviously one of the ways the industry encourages people to minimize the risk and definitely i can see the value in it is the principle of diversification and that principle is, you know, it's always framed out of don't put all your eggs in one basket. And we hear that all the time. And nothing wrong with the principle. But the problem with diversification, it makes the assumption, of course, that you can't add any value. And in the stock market, it's probably true for the most part, you can't. So therefore, just understand how the market generally works over the long term. And for those of us who study these things, um, I'm more than happy to to have another session, Chris, maybe a webinar because you need graphs and and charts and things. But just to show there's a there's um there's like an expectation of a risk reward payoff when it comes to investing in the stock market. So state it differently. When whenever you invest in the stock market, <clears throat> you'll always go through some kind of assessment, particularly if you're using an intermediated service like a an IFA or a broker, there'll be some kind of process that says, what is your attitude to risk? And that attitude to risk will normally play out in either a very simple questionnaire or some form of questionnaire. And that questionnaire normally assigns the individual a sort of a score on kind of one to 10, something like that. You know, it can be different things, but let's say, you know, one to 10 with one being low and 10 being high. And by studying these things, understanding how the markets generally work, the lowest risk funds will have predominantly cash and the highest risk funds will be higher risk equities, for example. So there's always a sort of a a payoff. And what what we've discovered by looking at the numbers is really the – there is a relationship between the two, but you don't get the – if you take level, say, an average return or an average risk score on a scale of 1 to 10, say 5, being right in the middle, and let me be simplistic just for the sake of this, so I'm not saying this is true or accurate, simply illustrative. If the average expected return from somebody investing in a middle risk portfolio would be 5, then the that would be 5% then if they double that risk, they don't get double the return because you're taking a much bigger risk of a potential of a fall. So, and we can see this very clearly when we start looking at some of the charts. So it's really important as you're looking at risk to understand the risk in the market, but to understand also you don't need to sit and just watch the market rise and fall. There are some things that you can genuinely do to de-risk yourself as opposed to simply allowing the market to ride its ups and its downs and you never know how you're really going to feel until at some point when you need that money. Um, and I'll get on to that one and when we talk about the, the accumulation. Um, so the answer to this process then is to, well, what are the things I can do that will help me minimize that risk? And <clears throat> 
One thing you can do is, for example, is you can lock in profits. So if you're investing in the market and you make money in the market, you can bank that money and invest it in something that doesn't work in the same way as the market. So, for example, say you make some good gains, you have a really good return, you've invested 10,000 and you made a 10,000 profit, or you've invested some money and you made 10,000 profit. You could leave 5,000 in and take 5,000 out and do something different with it. You could invest it in an alternative market, crowdfunding or lending, or some of the other things we'll maybe get to either in this podcast, Chris, or the next one, when we talk about alternative markets. So you're sort of banking as you as you go, and then as you take money out of that market, you're counter-correlating. Correlating means the, the way things work together. If you put it in a different market, then it's not going to work the same way as the market you were just in. So you're almost building yourself a level of risk protection. Is that making sense? Uh, almost like a hedge, would you say? Yeah, it is a hedge. Um, you know, the other way you can look at this is um, very simple, and I'm sure one of our trusted people, Jeremy, will talk more about this, which is the way you can lock in gains or, or minimize your losses through something called stop loss. So instead of, you know, if we watch the market, and let me be very simplistic again, Chris, if you if you see how markets rise and fall, they tend to rise very slowly and fall very quickly. So, you know, if you can picture that in your head, a very slow, steady rise. Yes, there are bump, you know, a few bumps in there. And then it kind of falls dramatically, and we've seen that many times. Mm. And the big danger is that dramatic fall. And if you take, in a, again, a similar imagination, if you imagine you know that's going to happen, it's going to happen sometime. I don't know when, but it's going to happen. It's happened before. It's going to happen again. And you looked at that, and you thought, well, hang on a minute. If I know I'm going to have a dramatic fall and a dramatic fall will hurt me, how would I protect myself from that fall? Well, if you imagine that fall as a line, seeing it like a cliff face, and you imagine you were a mountaineer climbing that, what would you be doing to stop yourself from falling all the way to the bottom, Chris? Yeah, you'd be tapping in some kind of harness or some kind of secure points where you couldn't fall any further. Right. So you might fall a little bit. And you might be hurt a bit, you might be uncomfortable for a while, but you wouldn't be devastated. And this you can do in the stock market, and this is stop losses. So you just very simple concept called stop loss, sort of does what it says on the tin. It says if the market, you know, if you believe <clears throat> if the chance of a market going up, if the average is five percent, and um, in a good year you make fifteen, and in a bad or say twenty, and a bad year you'd lose fifteen. And we can show these tables separately, I think, Chris, to, to bring them more to life. But if we imagine that, then if the market was likely to fall by 15% or 20%, and you think that's just a possibility, you could hammer in a little harness, not a harness, but a uh, an anchor that says, well, if the stock market falls by 10% or more, I'm out. You know, So you can have the market, you put an order in, to get you out of the market. So yes, you might lose some money, but you're limiting your loss. Hence the word stop loss. So these are just some of the, and they're not difficult to learn. I mean, these are so simple to learn. And uh, yet they're, I don't, <clears throat> I don't think I've met a fund manager or an IFA yet 
that talks about this because, you know, yeah, one of the things that um, kind of worries me about it is these these funds always have names, you know. And when you've got a fund with a name, like a UK equity fund, you have to invest in UK equity funds. So what happens if UK equity funds fall dramatically? Your fund is called the UK equity funds. You've got to hold UK equities. So where's the counter-correlation? Where's the stop-lossing? You know, these things are not happening when you just buy into a fund, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It's probably worth mentioning. I know a typical investment, you make money when it goes up. But if you do learn some slightly more advanced strategies around trading, which you've touched on there, then actually you can make money in a, in a, in a falling market as well. So you can, you can catch some profit on both sides. Beyond the scope of today, but, you know, and, and also you have to learn very much how those things work. But stop losses, very simple. You know, that can be taught. Certainly, you know, we talked about um, in a previous podcast, Chris, if somebody's serious about the stock market, they could make good stock market decisions um, and make and get all the necessary education, support and connection they need to learn this within 30 days. Mm, yeah. You know, this isn't life's work. This is a 30-day time frame that someone could learn enough to minimize their cost and minimize their risk. Talking today about why most investments are CRAP. We're halfway through, Kevin. So let's look at what the A stands for. Yeah, this is an interesting one, Chris. And this is the A stands for accumulation model. What the hell does that mean? Well, it means, you know, when you buy into an investment, and you have the meeting with your IFA when the markets fell, like they did in 2008. What do they say to you when those things happen? It'll all be okay in the long run. Right. Okay. Yeah, right out of the market, right? Just just hold out and, uh, yeah, it will bounce back at, at some stage. That's exactly right. So this is this is a model known as the accumulation model. You simply just hang on. So they call it a buy and hold model. I call it the buy and hope model. You buy funds and then you hope it all's going to work out. Because, you see, the key thing about wealth, and as you think about this and really reflect on what we've been teaching so far, wealth doesn't come from accumulating money and then at one date in your life you suddenly convert that money into cash flow. You create cash flow as you go. You know, so the essence of wealth building is is owning assets that flow cash, not owning assets that grow or fall or stay the same in any year, but they provide you with cash flow. And this isn't a model that's being taught. So if you think about the way most investments work is they buy and hold for the long term. And then at some date in the future, the money's then converted into money that individuals will spend. Yeah. I mean, I was I was just thinking when you were saying that, Kevin, you know, it hasn't worked out too bad for someone like Warren Buffett, has it, that buy and hold strategy? No, well, the buy and hold strategy for Buffett's brilliant because his business does that. So, you know, his, his business is there um, to make money in the long term, and they've got a very strong view about how they do that. So, And also they're buying institutionally. They're buying for the long term. Sure. But one of the biggest ways Warren Buffett makes money is not through the buying and holding of good equities, is by trading, is by, you know, by allowing, um, you know, the trades to take place. So he's got such a high stock holding of, of what we call a position 
on so many different high quality stocks that you know he generates premiums by essentially renting out his stock to other people who want access to it. So it's like you know having a property. So think about it a different way. If you had a piece of property, do you accumulate the value? Would you keep a property empty just to accumulate the value? Or do you create rental because you want to create an income? Yeah, absolutely. Second second option. Right. So it's the same with investing. And Warren Buffett knows this because he makes millions and millions and millions every year on the trading of options where his, he's basically renting out his stocks. So Because he, he knows he's got great stocks, so he's holding them. And this is another way to think about it, by the way, you know, this whole process of not just accumulating for the sake of um, holding on to somebody else's model. There's a way that you can accumulate that is a reflection of you. And I can talk about that in a minute. But just before I finish on that, you know, the important thing about wealth building is about cash flow. And the challenge with the market is it's very difficult to create cash flow unless you're doing something to create value for yourself, as Buffett does, you know. So the position you can take with cash flow is much more difficult. Um, and that's why it's not really a great way to build wealth. It's a way to manage wealth you've already built because it has got some great value in terms of it generally provides enough value. You can buy into the market cheaply. You can protect yourself on the downside. You can make some money if you learn how to create cash flow in the upside and the downside through trading. And, of course, it's very liquid, whereas other assets that we get into are the pillars or less liquid, aren't they, Chris? That's less liquid. In property, for example, you know, it's difficult to sell property quickly. It's difficult to sell a business quickly. It's difficult to to create joint ventures and exit them quickly. So one of the huge value factors in the marketplace is it's highly liquid. But you see, most people don't need that liquidity. You know, if you're investing for the long term, you don't need the liquidity. So you can tie your money you know, into a different philosophy, which could be you try you you turn your investing into a reflection of you. So what do I mean by that? Okay. So, Chris, I'm a wealth builder. And one of the things I believe which is really important in the wealth building process, uh, particularly with, with business, which is my favorite asset, but in any of the assets really, is this idea of income and cash flow that recurs. Recurring income, recurring income, recurring income. So if that's who I am as a person, why would I invest in something that didn't do that? Only for, I would say, that diversification, but then that would be a just a, a smaller element, certainly probably not your primary wealth building pillar or focus. Yeah, no, okay, that, that's, a, that's a good point. It's not where I was aiming at. Maybe I didn't explain myself well, so let me try again. If, as a person, I come from a place of high recurring income, then if I choose a percentage of my holdings and my wealth to be in the stock market, and I do have some money in the market, then I could choose to to invest specifically and in a low-cost way in companies that reflect my beliefs. Mm -hmm. So those companies that have high degree of recurring income. A A dividend, do you mean? Yes, or... Uh, buying into companies where you know there's a natural um, expectation 
that the clients will uh, and their customers will buy and rebuy and rebuy and rebuy and rebuy. And then you can buy companies then that do that. So instead of just simply being a reflection in a market, you're saying this is a reflection of me as a person. So, you know, I would look out for companies and I could do it this way. I choose not to and I'll maybe it's not good for me to mention what I invest in because that's not helpful because I'm not trying to give an opinion about me because I'm very uniquely me. But um, but I have a thought process and, and I minimize my time because I happen to have chosen a method of investing in funds that I think is a reflection exactly of who I am as a person. So I've chosen a pathway to invest in the market. And, and that's very simple and easy for me to say, right, I've got a certain percentage of my money in the market and I'm holding those for the long term as, as part of a diversifier. And, and I know I can cash in and do those things whenever I want to. But And whether I choose to stop loss or not doesn't matter. It just means, you know, that's a reflection of me. Well, look at how many different people we've got in our um, students now. So what if somebody was highly focused around green energy or highly focused around ethics? Um, you know, and you can you can invest in specific funds or you can invest in very, very tight and specific ETFs because ETFs are so easy and low cost to run. Instead of being a giant fund, you know, like the FTSE, for example, where you can't really ethically control that, you can zero in on something. And with an ETF, you can choose an almost bespoke almost into a very niche sector that is a reflection of you. So, you know, the, um, the whole principle of investing is for it to be a reflection of who you are. When you say you're invested in something, you know, if you take the word investment out the money side, if I say I'm heavily invested in the principles of wealth building, is that true? It is true. I'm invested in the principle. So it means it's fundamentally part of my DNA. So why wouldn't I invest in the same way? So if you have very strong views, very strong principles, then you can choose to invest in a way that reflects them so it becomes part of who you are, not something that's forgotten or something that you give to somebody else and is part of their business and their mindset, which may not reflect yours at all. Just making sense. And I've, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, we travel on London Underground and all the time now I'm just peering up on the advertisements inside the tubes and seeing very much these examples of all different niches where there's a new app where you can invest into this area. Um, so I, I think with technology now, it's just opening up that market so much more, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. And, and I think what's brilliant about technology is it's allowing people uh, to choose into something very specific and niche for themselves in a way that didn't happen. You know, you, and you can't do that. Let's say, you know, most people will access their investments through um, their ISAs or through their pension fund in, in the in workplace. You don't get this sort of option. But, um, you know, you can choose so many different pathways to invest that you can have fun. And, and therefore, you know, it doesn't have to be something that's, I hope it's better next year. And and also the the starting point is is very low cost for for these platforms now, isn't it? Remarkably low. And you know when you're buying things on very very low cost, and you're you're investing in what you want to invest in, then you know and, and you know you're investing some of your money for the longer term. Um, and of course you can 
you know, also access these things regularly through, you know, saving money that you're making either from rental property. If you, you can combine the pillars, you know, so we have lots of clients who've got rental income and then they reinvest the rental income in something that's counter correlated to their property portfolio. See how all these things just interconnect, Chris, and it isn't difficult. It's just the thinking that's difficult because most people come from a place, not of education, but being told this is how investments are made. This is what you do. And it isn't what you do, just it's what you've been told is done because it perpetuates the money and the accumulation buy and hold theory in the marketplace. And I'm not sure that's the right place for true wealth building students. So we've covered cost, which was the C. We've covered risk, which was the R. Accumulate just there. So that leaves us with the final P, Kevin. And it's process. You know, the process of doing these things is so, so simple. It really is remarkably simple. As soon as you start just to think about, well, how do I want to invest? What percentage of the money do I have do I want to invest? What are the different markets that I could invest in? What do I like about them? Say, you know, we're talking today predominantly about the stock market. I think we've been talking quite a while, so we probably have to do alternative markets next time. But if it's just the stock market, it's do I want to invest passively? Do I want to invest in a low-cost way? Do I want to invest in a way that reflects who I am? Once you know these things, and we can help with that process, you know, once you've got a few things, a few kind of parameters, do I want to invest with stop losses or not? Um, then you can you can learn that process within 30 days and run your investments for a fraction of the cost that you pay a fortune for for someone who teaches you this, doesn't actually teach you, just does it for you once, sets it up once, and then gets to plug a siphon into your funds for the rest of your life. I'm not sure that's right. You know, Why not learn? Wealth building starts with education. Why not learn a little bit about yourself, reflect on who you are, learn a little bit about the way you can access the market, listen to some of our students, you know, how they're investing. Certainly don't invest like them. Invest like you. And you are uniquely you as the listener. Choose what you want. And if you want to be in a market, choose the best way and the best pathway into that market and let us guide you to the lowest cost way of getting in, managing the process, and then getting money out when you need it to invest in other assets or to simply continue to keep your whole wealth in balance because once you've made that decision, say you decide to keep 10% of your money in the market for the sake of a number, if things do really, really well, then you can rebalance that. So, you know, you've made some money, you've now got 12% in the market, you can decide to bank that 2% and put it somewhere else in a different market or in one of the other pillars or to pay for the education to for you to learn about a new pillar. See how all these things are so interconnected, Chris. Um, the whole essence of this is to not feel isolated and on your own or at the mercy of someone else who's just saying, this is the best way to do it. Trust me. You know, that's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to stop, to think, lowest cost, lowest risk. Don't focus on just the accumulation model. Think about, you know, 
moving money to different places and seeing it balanced in your overall wealth plan and learn a process that we can share and teach with you, certainly in less than 30 days, that you'd be confidently able to start investing your money in a way that is so much more better value for you in the long term than giving it to so-called experts and paying them for the rest of your life. I think I've said enough. (laughs) Well, if there was one word I think that sums this episode up, I think it's empowering. And I know it's a word close to your heart, Kevin, but it really is empowering people to just take some control, to just understand a little bit more about this subject area. And and the benefits are are huge if, if someone does that. And it'd be great to hear from, you know, more of our students on how they're doing that so that the perspectives they share with each other, you know, will will help, you, you know, you see things you don't see on your own. Because one of the things I'm noticing as we get more feedback from our community, Chris, is how lonely people are. I don't mean lonely as in isolated, you know, from other people, but in their wealth building. It's almost they've got to make all those decisions in their own head. They don't have the true trust uh, of people around them to to help them just you know, decipher what's right for them. And that's where I'd start with all of this is start to work out who you are. And then once you know who you are, you can choose the way to build wealth that reflects you and not being told what to do. Absolutely. We want to say thank you so much to all of the people in the Wealth Builders community and everyone who's been listening to Wealth Talk, because I know both you and I, Kevin, every week we get comments from from more and more people just saying how much they're enjoying listening to the Wealth Talk podcast and, you know, actually taking action, implementing some of these things that we're talking about. So, um, so thank you. And thank you to everyone who's been leaving reviews on iTunes as well. We're, um, you know, we're climbing the charts. We're, we're getting more and more reviews every week. So if you haven't left a review and you're in enjoying the show we'd really appreciate a few moments of your time to just share a few words on there and of course if you're not already a member of the wealth builders facebook group then you can head to wealthbuilders.co.uk forward slash facebook and we're over the thousand member mark so come and join the party in there and both you and i kevin we're in there all the time answering people's questions and uh, keeping people updated of of where we're both going to be and where you're speaking at future events as well and, it would be, and, you know, in the final words here, I think it would be good to know, well, what would people like to learn? You know, so <clears throat> it's difficult, isn't it, when you're creating content as we are from the heart. It's difficult to know exactly, you know, so what, how do we take this to give the specific lessons to, to people? How do they want to do that? Because so, as you've heard, there are so many different ways you can come at this from. So it would just be good to know, yes, if you thought it was useful, Great to know that, but then what would you need to know to be able to take action? Because that's the next step. So help us help you because we know how to do these things and we've got so many hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, of different ways and people that we can help give you access to more knowledge. But what we don't want to do is overwhelm you. So when you're ready for the investment piece, if you're already an investor, just take one 30-day period and say, this month, I'm going to nail my investment plan. And then the next month, the execution of it. So within two months, you're done. You know, 90 days tops, you're done with what you want to do with your investment. So let us know what you need. Let us know what you want. We'll try and bring that to you. Great. I think that's a wrap for Wealth Talk 21. Thanks for your time today, Kevin. Really enjoyed that one. And we'll catch up on the next episode. Okay. We'll be talking about alternative markets, I think, next time, Chris. I think we will. I'll see you okay. then. Okay. 
See ya. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that we are constantly updating our resources inside the Wealth Builders membership site to help you create, build, and protect your wealth. Head over to wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership right now for free access. That's wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership.